Uh, this morning, man, the music, I don't know, it just uh, touched my heart. Uh, I, was, I always, on Sunday morning, I try to listen to something, uh, especially music that's dedicated to the Lord. And um, I was listening to an old chorus this morning. I got here and we were singing it. So uh, that, was, that was really good. Um, as, as we were meditating earlier, uh, I, I just want to make clear to you that the Christian doesn't meditate on nothing. Like Eastern religions, they talk about meditation. They mean empty your mind. Well, if you empty your mind, the devil will fill it. And so the Christian fills his mind with the Word of God and meditates on that Word, which is what Pastor Andy was leading us to do. And that was a great verse in, in uh, Psalm 27 for us to meditate on. And uh, so I just wanted to uh, remind you that we're in Genesis chapter 33, uh, back to basics. And, uh, and so we want to uh, look at that. I, I, I also appreciate getting to uh, memorize the uh, tribes of Israel because uh, it's not like I use it in everyday life, but uh, the more Bible knowledge you have, the better off you'll be. So uh, it's good to learn things like that. Uh, I was seven years old when they, somebody made me learn the books. They didn't make me. They encouraged me to learn the books of the Bible. I got a bookmark or a pen or something for it, but, uh, but I learned the books of the Bible. I was, I was only seven. So uh, uh, if you don't know the books of the Bible and I say something about a book of the Bible in the front of your Bible, is the table of contents. And so you can find that book there and uh, a page number. So it's um, today I'm on page uh, 80 if you have a Bible like mine. So, uh, but if you don't, sorry. Uh, but we're in Genesis 33. And we're talking today about face to face because Jacob is coming to become face to face with his brother. This is a, a, a reunion 20 years in the making. And God has changed both of these men completely. Uh, well, Jacob completely, Esau some, uh, over the 20 years. And uh, so we'll, we'll jump into that in just a second. But I, I want you to take this uh, idea home with you today. That coming face to face with God prepares us to come face to face with others. And, and let me give that to you. In Romans chapter 5 verse 1 it says, uh, Therefore, because of what Christ did, we have peace with God. You see, the person without God is at war with God. The, the Bible says that we were the enemies of God. And when you have an enemy, somebody's got to make peace. And God made the peace through Christ on the cross. All the judgment and justice that, that should have been on us, Christ took upon himself and died on the cross for us to take away the sin because he had no sin of his own to pay for. But secondly, in, in the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, and the peace of God can guard our hearts and minds if we're meditating on God and his word. And so in other words, you can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God. Uh, one famous uh, preacher named Vance Havner said, his daddy always said nothing was settled till it was settled right. And it wasn't settled right till it was settled with God. And uh, that's where we are today. So I want to encourage you today as we go through this text to think about where you're not at peace with God. If you're lost, you are an enemy of God. You need to come to Christ and bow the knee to him because he is king of kings, lord of lords, and he's coming back. Uh, I, uh, one of our members was wearing a t-shirt. They had a great message on it. I love it. I asked where he got it and he was telling me. And he said, but they had another one on the website. It said, normal is not coming back. Jesus is. I went, man, I got to find that t-shirt. I want that. Because Jesus is going to return and we have to be ready for that return. We, we as believers should be longing for it and looking for it. And if you don't believe in Christ, it doesn't mean he's not coming back. He is coming back. 
And so the only way to get ready is to, is to trust him, give your life uh, to him. And then once you have peace with God, you can have peace with other people. You have the peace of God in order to handle these relationships. So I want you to remember that. So we're looking in chapter 33. And, uh, and I'm in the book of Exodus instead of the book of Genesis. So that doesn't help. So forget what I said about page 80. I was wrong page. Um, that can happen. I didn't put my marker in looking at something earlier and then I lost my place. Here we go. Um, so the first verse says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, Esau was coming. <laughs> you ever had that day where you look up and here it comes? You know, it's coming at you and you know this is not, maybe not going to be great. Well, this is the situation. And you know, as we read through the Bible, as we hear stories uh, about the heroes of the Bible, including Jacob, it seems like we always get on Jacob. And deservedly so. Jacob was a deceiver, born a deceiver. That was his name from the beginning because he grabbed his, his brother's heel as they're leaving the womb. They were twins, uh, not, not full twins. They were whatever, the, I guess that's called paternal twins that, uh, that they didn't look alike, didn't act alike. They were way different. They weren't alike at all. And as we look at the story, the story always emphasizes Jacob in the scripture because that is through whom our Messiah comes. And, and just to put it back in your head, as we go through Genesis, we see that at many times the line of Christ is, is hanging by a thread. And here's another one of those times. Because Esau had said, I'm going to kill you, Jacob. And believe me, those people uh, in those days didn't forget a promise like that. They, they would stay mad for 20 years. Be, be real easy for them. And so Jacob is expecting his brother. He doesn't know what's going to happen. But he expects, he plans for that maybe his brother would attack and kill him and all of his family. And if, if Judah and that family goes down, we don't have Christ. So we see God at work here to preserve the line until Jesus comes. Esau was a man who, uh, when he was born, he, the Bible says uh, he was a hairy guy. In fact, he was so hairy that uh, Isaac got fooled by using goat hair on Jacob's arm. It, when, Jacob, when Isaac couldn't see anymore, he felt that goat's hair and thought it was his son. So that was a pretty hairy guy, right? But he was out in the field, he's hunting, and... He despised what was his by right. He despised his birthright. He despised the blessing of his father. Uh, he, he sold those to, to Jacob. And Jacob had deceived him out of them. And, and that's true. But the Bible lets us know that Esau, when he realized his mom and dad didn't want Jacob or him to marry outside of the family that would become the Hebrews, he went and married people that were their enemies just to aggravate his parents. So Esau was not a nice guy, and we kind of forget that. And 20 years later, Jacob is hoping he can forget that, but he can't. So I just wanted to kind of set that, but Jacob has changed. Jacob, 20 years ago, flees from Esau, goes and lives with his mother's family, finds his wife, and uh, actually two wives, and wound up with four before he left. And, but, he's, but he's married over here, he's got children now, and his father-in-law cheated him for 20 years. And we, in the past two chapters, we've seen that where Jacob first has to figure out that God wants him to go. God tells him to leave. But, but we see this change coming in Jacob. So when he finally does leave and Laban catches him, he no longer uh, is operating in that deceptive mode. He, is, he just lays out the problem. He and Laban come to an understanding, his father-in-law Laban. And now we come to the next chapter, and this is that third time 
that Jacob has to meet face to face with somebody to get it right. You said, wait a minute, you said Laban and now Esau, where's the other one? In the last chapter, he came face to face with God. He wrestled with God and prevailed. And his name was changed to Israel. That's going to be real important in this story, okay? So, we come to this text and we see this meeting in, in verse 1. And, and I already began to read that. Jacob lifted up his eyes and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel, that's his two wives, and the two female servants because they bore some children, so their moms and their two. And he put the servants with the children in front. Then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. And he himself went on before them, bowing, seven time, uh, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Do you see how much Jacob has changed? He, he knows they're about, to, they're about to meet with each other. So he prepares for the meeting. He divides his camp into two. Gets the moms with the kids. And also the, all the moms. Uh, the four ladies. And he is moving toward Esau. But did you catch what he did in verse 3? Jacob didn't bow to anybody up to this point. And now he's bowing, and figuratively speaking, but now he's physically bowing seven times. Isn't that a weird number to pick? I'm not into numerology that much, but seven usually indicates the presence of God, right? And so Jacob is bowing seven times as he comes to Esau. That is an act of humility. It, you can pray from any position because sometimes you can't determine the position you're in. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you, you, you may not be in, a, in a, a posture of prayer. But brother, you need to pray, okay? And so Jacob, though, he puts himself in posture of prayer. It's good for us to bow. It's a, it's a discipline. Put your mind where it needs to be, a, a sign of humility and humbleness. And, and, and Jacob, as he approaches, is bowing. And I don't know if he's reminding himself. That, hey, God's got to have this, God's got to have this guy. Or if he's doing that toward Esau, Esau doesn't see all these seven times. It says he did that till he got near to Esau. And so as he did it, uh, Jacob's doing that for himself. He's not doing that for Esau. We might be confused about that. But then Esau surprises him in verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Wow, what a change. So Esau, we don't know what happened because the Bible doesn't tell us really. But for some reason, Esau has kind of maybe figured out, listen, I got one brother and that's about it. And so I better be at peace with him. And, and friend, you never know in this world who you're going to need as a friend. Right? In the church, uh, you know, we are supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ. But we don't always act like it. Somebody told me a little poem one time, to live in, uh, with all the saints in heaven, oh, what, what glory. But to put up with them here on earth, that's another story. <laughs> and many churches go by that rule. Like, we, we, we are demanding and critical and all that instead of merciful and loving and forgiving and helping people to look more like Jesus. The Bible says even if a person's overtaken in a fault, spiritual ones should help restore him. And taking care for yourself because you too can become a castaway. You too can mess up. And so that is, that's what we ought to be doing. But when Esau sees him, he comes running, falls on his neck. And, you know, if this would have been a bad situation, that falling on the neck would have a different meaning, wouldn't it? 
would fall on his neck to hurt him, break that neck. But instead, he falls on his neck weeping, and they weep together. This reunion is beautiful. And, uh, and that goes on uh, uh, all the way through verse 7. And because Esau asked in verse 5, Esau lifted up his eyes, saw the women and children. He said, who are these with you? Because when Jacob left, he's a single guy with a lot of problems. And, uh, and, the servant, and Jacob said, they're the children whom God has graciously given your servant. In verse 6, and the servants drew near and their children and bowed down. And Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. At last, Joseph and Rachel drew near because that's the only child she's had. We said Benjamin in the list. He hadn't been born yet, but he's coming, okay? Um, and they bowed down. And Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I meet? And Jacob said, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. The brothers, begin, Jacob begins the reconciliation. He calls Esau my Lord. Now, I don't know if you have a twin or if you've ever known twins. I've got a couple sets in my extended family at least. And the oldest one, even if it's by a couple of minutes, is always the oldest one, you know? That sibling rivalry never ends. And Jacob left proud, and I got all the, the birthrights, all the things that Esau should have had. Jacob had either deceived him out of them or, or sold them to him, uh, got him to, to, to give them up. And here Jacob begins the reconciliation by calling him Lord. Now, that's, that's odd. He's not calling him God. He's calling him the boss, basically. You are the boss. That I want to find favor in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I already have enough, brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Esau has become well off himself. And by the way, this is a cultural thing in this culture. And we also have it in the South. If somebody offers you something, you go, oh, no, no, no. That, no, I appreciate that. What that means is, ask me again. So if you're not from the South, let me just tell you, if a Southerner says, oh, no, 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 that's okay, they don't mean that, okay? <laughs> it's a false niceness. But I learned from somebody from the Middle East that in their culture today, they're going to say no three times, so you better, if you don't ask the fourth time, then you're not going, they're not, they're, that means they didn't want you to have it anyway. In the South, it's just one. So, but for... This is Esau said, no, 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 man, I, I don't need that. And Jacob says, no, you're going to take it. This is 550 animals. He sent ahead, if you count them up, 550 animals to Esau. And he goes, what is all this? And he said, man, I, I want to find favor in your sight. And he calls him Lord. And Esau says, I have enough. I don't need, I don't need it. And Jacob insists uh, that he takes it. That's through uh, verse 11. And so please accept... Uh, Jacob uh, says to him, no, please, if I found favor in your sight, to back up in, uh, in verse 9, uh, verse 10, Jacob said, no, please, if I found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, hold that thought, and it, you have accepted me, please accept my blessing uh, that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me. And because I have enough. And then he urged him. And he took it. There's a couple of things in there you need to catch. He says to Esau, your face is like the face of God. Now, Jacob is fresh off a wrestling match seeing the face of God. And he knows the difference. Why would he say to Esau, seeing you is like seeing the face of God? And notice what Jacob says. My God has blessed me. Before this, it was the God of my father, Abraham, the fear of Isaac. 
He promised me too, but the God of Abraham. And now he says, and he's my God. He claims him for himself. Why would he say to Esau, seeing you the faith, like seeing the face of God? Because when he saw the one who should be his enemy, God has made him to have peace with him. This isn't in the nature of Esau. This isn't in the nature of Jacob. Jacob is acting way out of his natural thoughts and, and actions because God is dealt in Jacob and when Esau falls on him and cries and is willing to be reconciled Jacob sees the work of God in his brother and can't you rejoice in that again I, I've run into those Christians that are critical they don't, they don't care if you did 99 things right they're going to remember the one thing you didn't do right the one time you messed up the one time you totally blew it you know, where's, where's the grace of God for forgiveness? Esau, by his actions, is saying, I forgive you. But Jacob is saying, I repent of hurting you. And he gives a gift. Repentance many, usually requires some sort of restoration of, of something. And so Jacob is doing that. He is, he is showing that. And these brothers come together and they are reconciled to each other. And then... Esau says in verse 12, and I won't read all to the end of the chapter because it goes all the way to the end. But basically, Esau says, so let's go on the journey and I'll go, uh, uh, I will go ahead of you and you can just follow me. And Jacob says, no, 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 uh, it's okay because we're going to move. And so Jacob, I, I, he's reverting to the flesh here. He's reverting back to old ways because he doesn't say, do what he said he's going to do. And I don't know if he's is being deceptive or after Esau left, he goes, you know what, I'd rather go this way. But he doesn't, fall. he says, you go on ahead, because the kids and all, they're just slow, and they're going to slow you down. You go do what you need to do, we'll follow along. But then he takes a left turn in Albuquerque, as Bugs Bunny would say. And, and he goes a different way. And so that's, that is all in the text. Because in verse 15, Esau goes, I've forgiven you, but I still don't trust you. I'll leave some of the servants of the people who are with me. He said, oh, there's no need. Let me find uh, f favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day and went on his way to Seir, verse 17. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booze for his livestock. Therefore, he called the name of that place, place Succoth. So this is the whole story. That is the meeting. That is what happens. But the miracle is that Esau doesn't kill Jacob. That is miraculous, but rather falls on his neck. And another miracle there is that Israel, Jacob, is humbled. He bows down seven times. He says, you're like seeing the face of God. He, Jacob has quit thinking about Jacob, and he's now thinking about God because he's had that encounter with God. Remember I said, you got to meet God in order to meet people. He has met God. He saw him once in a vision 20 years before. But now God has shown up and wrestles with him until he understands what God wants in him. And in between there, we saw in, in uh, chapter 31, 32, I think, or 30, 31, 30, 31, that, that God appeared to Jacob in a dream to tell him how to uh, do with the sheep so that he would have sheep to, to take with him when he left. But God had changed both of them and Jacob humbles himself. Esau invites him to go with him. That could have been an honest, like, hey, come on, we're, we'll combine forces and we'll be the brothers. Jacob doesn't trust it or something's going on. Jacob doesn't follow him. But look what Jacob does do. He sets up another altar and worships. That's Jake, 
Jacob's response now. It's not like, oh good, I got another one on him, but wow, God, thank you. Thank you that went so well. I'm just going to remember the work you did in my brother Esau. Thank you so much. And he worships God. And so what I want you to catch from the scriptures today and ask yourself, where do you need to be reconciled in your life? First of all, you need to be reconciled with God, right? I, I told you Romans 5.1 says that. Uh, it says that us being justified uh, by, by faith, and let me read it. I should have marked it, sorry. Um, but being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And that is the first peace. I've already talked about that, but, but listen, I can't emphasize it enough. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not our faith that gives us peace. It's where we place our faith that gives us peace. God gives us the peace. And you have to be reconciled with God. In 1 Corinthians, it says we have this ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians. We have a, a ministry of reconciliation because God has reconciled us to himself. And now we help other people be reconciled to God. But God does the reconciling. We don't. But we invite them into it. We invite people into uh, reconciliation uh, with God. And then in Philippians then, we have peace of God. And if you're at peace with God, you have the peace of God, you can do anything. Because nothing's going to shake you. In, 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 the, in the upper room, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, I think the preamble to that, uh, and I'm not going to read it, but the preamble to that is extremely important. And here's why. Because over and over, it talks about that Jesus knew who he was. It talks about he knows where he came from. He knew where he was headed. And he loved the disciples. There are a lot of elements there. Jesus recognized that I'm God, but I put on man. I'm about to go to a cross, but that means I get to go back to heaven. I'm going to take the saints with me. He's excited to be able to take the saints to heaven. That's why he endured the cross according to... Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 it, it says that because of the joy set before him he endured the cross and the joy was that he would save the church now by the church I mean all those who will be saved okay I, we don't know who they all are but he's going to save everybody that is saved right there's nobody going to be saved outside Jesus according to Acts 4.12 there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, but at the name of Jesus. So it is in his name we are saved. And so when we have that peace with God, of God, we have peace with God. Then we have the peace of God for other people. Because Jesus understood all that, he was able to act as a servant. Wash his disciples' feet, which was a picture of what he had done. That he had put aside deity, put on humanity. Served man, puts back on his deity after the resurrection and sits down at the right hand of God. We see all that in that Last Supper scene. And so, if you know who you are in God, then it doesn't matter what people think. In Galatians it says, the fear of man will not accomplish the will of God. That we ought to fear God and not men. We... We, we make a mistake when we are afraid of men. And so if, if you need to be reconciled, in Matthew 18, Jesus himself gives us a formula for reconciliation with 
people. And it's uh, Matthew 18 begins in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If he doesn't listen, take two or three others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, an outsider. Someone's not in the, in the faith. And truly I say to you, whoever shall, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them also, or there am I among them. You've heard those last couple of verses, haven't you? Where two or three gathered in his name, he's there. Whatever we pray for and bind, God's going to buy. Put it in context. It's about forgiving your brother. That's the context of that. And if the church gets involved and we agree this person who has sinned against God, a bunch of people, and maybe some close to him, and they repent, if, we, if they're confronted and they repent, then we're supposed to reconcile with them. And God says, good job. And if they won't be reconciled, God says, okay, fine. Because they didn't reconcile with the church, the, the people that they sinned against. And so... I want you to understand that past wrongs need to be forgiven. Now, when I say that, you may think, yeah, that's right. All those people that mess with me, they, they need to get right with me. No, you need to get right. You need to forgive. Forgiveness will kill you. Unforgiveness, I mean, will kill you. Let me say that right again. Unforgiveness will kill you. Because it will create bitterness. The Bible says later on that we should not fall short of the grace of God. So that a root of bitterness doesn't take root in our life and grow up. It takes the grace of God to forgive. It is not in any of our natures. I, I am obviously basically Scott Irish, right? I mean that's just kind of, I glow that a little bit, you know. I'm just so white it ain't funny. I mean it's just... Who I, you know, how, how God brought me here. And, and so I tease about Irish Alzheimer's. If you don't know what that is, it means you forget everything but the grudge. And friend, let me just tell you, that will, that will absolutely destroy your life if you can't forgive people. Jesus told us in the, ser in the prayer that he taught us to pray, Our Father, art in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then after he said that in the Sermon on the Mount, the very next words out of his mouth are, because if you don't forgive the sins of your brothers, your Father in heaven won't forgive you your sins. He could have emphasized anything in that prayer. The holiness of God, the provisions of God, the grace of God. And he talks about forgiveness. There's the next subject coming out of that. He talks about forgiveness. In other words, it doesn't matter if the person apologizes or acknowledges their sin against you or not. It's your job to forgive. I've had people come to me that said, hey, I'm sorry, I need your forgiveness. I go, well, I'd already forgiven you, but it, you know, if, if you need that, I, I, thank God, thank you. I'm glad. And let's just be brothers. Let's be sisters, brother and sister, whatever it is. 
So you need to forgive past wrongs against you because God won't forgive you your sin unless you forgive them their sin. Now it takes the grace of God to do that. As I said, it says don't fall short of the grace of God because if you don't forgive, it plants a seed and that is a poisonous plant that grows out of your heart when it's grown from a seed of unforgiveness. And present humility is extremely necessary. Look at 2 Corinthians. Turn over there with me. You might need the concordance, I mean the table contents for that one. <clears throat> but it's 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. Had occasion this week to be discussing all this with some brothers, but look at it. Not, not that we're forgiving each other, but just as the concept of it. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death there's there's two kinds of remorse and repentance and these two it's the same word here repentance and repentance but he says a worldly repentance a worldly uh sorrow uh in some versions it says um a a, a worldly grief it says here and that worldly grief is a grief of i'm sorry i got caught not I did wrong and I want to change. Those are two different things. Some people, if they're caught, will say, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. But true repentance is, you're right, I did wrong. I'm going to turn away from that and I, I, I'm going to settle that with God. I pray that you can forgive me as well. Do you understand the difference? Let me illustrate it briefly. Peter and Judas. If you think about that just a little bit, they did the same thing. Peter denied he even knew Christ. That is a betrayal. If somebody came to me and you're my friend and they told me something bad about you and I didn't speak up for you and then say, if you got a problem, we're going to go talk to them right now. We're going to settle this. You're not going to talk about my friend that way. Then we've betrayed our friend. Right? And now what God calls us to do to stand up for each other? And Peter's standing by the fire. He wants to get close. And then when he's confronted, you know him, don't you? No, I don't. No, I don't. Three times. And Jesus told him he was going to do it. See, we focus on Judas. Yeah, Judas sold him out. I get it. Sold him down the river, 30 pieces of silver, the whole nine yards. But Jesus had told Peter something. Satan has requested you. But I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you are restored... Then help restore your brothers also. And after Jesus goes to the cross and dies, Judas, who is sorry he sold Jesus out, but he didn't repent of it, goes out and hangs himself. But Peter, who when the rooster crowed, as Jesus predicted before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times, that rooster crowed and he remembered. And he did not kill himself, but he was so sorrowful. He was so repentant of what he had done. Thankfully, he waited till they knew Jesus was alive. And you go all the way to John 21, Jesus on that seashore, and he has an encounter with Peter, and Jesus restores him into that fellowship with himself. In fact, he gives him a second call. Now you follow me. Before he said, follow me, he says, oh, by the way, this is how they're going to kill you at the end of your life. You're going to die 
The Bible, we don't quite catch it when we read it, but it says, he said this signifying by what death Peter would die. And he said, all right, come follow me. And he starts walking. It's, it's almost like he's walking away. And, and God gives Peter that second chance. The Lord gives Peter that chance. And he repents and is restored. Now, when you go to restore a relationship with somebody, you hope that they will repent and they can be restored. But before you go, you got to get right with God yourself. Because guess what? It's usually not one person that has sinned. It's usually two. Right? We even have little sayings about that. Like it takes two to tango. And there's a conflict. Both of you, got a, both of you have a, some bearing in that. There's very, very few people pick out a stranger and go, you know, I'm just going to hate them. I'm going to go over there and slap them. I just don't like them. Pow. No, it's usually somebody you know, right? So there was some relational thing. You might have been a misunderstanding. It might have been actually something they did ugly like Jacob did to Esau. Man, you talk about needing forgiveness. Jacob needed the forgiveness. But Esau as well. And so we need humility. And 2 Corinthians 7.10 shows us that. That Peter was humbled by his failure. And became actually repentant of it. But Judas was sorrowful about it. And he hung himself. You see, I, I mentioned it earlier. Let me just say something about it. A cost has to be paid. Somebody's got to pay the price of forgiveness. And that's the one who realizes that they need forgiveness and want to forgive others. You're paying the price. There was a popular song on Christian radio a year or two or three ago. And it talked about how painful forgiveness is. That it feels like you're losing when you forgive. But you're not. You're winning because you're acting like Christ who is the only one who could demand, look what you did to me. But instead, he forgives us. He forgives us. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Hanging on a cross. He prays for our forgiveness. You see, God's got to do a work in both parties. If Esau hadn't been willing, we don't, we don't have the backstory on Esau. We don't know. But somewhere, somehow in there, Esau figured out, I got to get right with my brother. And 20 years later, it happens. God had to do a work in Esau and in Jacob. So you can go and apologize and ask forgiveness or forgive someone, and they may not care. I've seen that as well in my own life. No, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. Well, now that's on them because you've done what you're supposed to do, according to Matthew. You've tried to find that forgiveness with them. That, listen, I know I messed up. Let's, let's get this right. And if they refuse, that's on them. But brother, it's on us. And I mean that brothers and sisters. It's on us to take that step, to pay that price. Jacob paid a price. He sent those gifts ahead uh, to, to try to soften up Esau, I know. But he sincerely wanted Esau to be blessed by himself. Well, what can you do this week? First of all, prepare for any meeting you should have with another by meeting with God first. Right? Because if you don't have the peace with God, you're not going to have the peace of God. And it takes peace of God to be willing to pay that price to forgive others. And be humble and be willing to restore a loss. There may be something that you cost somebody and you need to restore that. Uh, I don't know if I ever said it publicly up here and I'm not even sure I should say it now. So Janice will tell me later whether I should or shouldn't, I guess. I'm ADD. I didn't know there was a box. I'm not outside the box. I didn't know there was one. But one Saturday night, I think I did tell you all this, but one Saturday night, 
knock came on the door opened the door Saturday night 10 o'clock and my neighbor across the street has got one of my dogs by the collar said your dog just killed my lamb now nice guy friend all that I said she'll be dead by Monday and I'll pay you for the lamb because that's what you do to a violent dog you have to put them down it cost I paid the vet bill because there was an injury and all of that but why because if I want his forgiveness I need to restore that I can't say well I'm sorry about that it's the dog what did you expect no that was my dog I should have controlled that dog and I am sorry I repent of a dumb animal my dog killing your lamb let me pay for that let me take care of this for you guess what he's still my friend be humble and be willing to restore loss don't be proud and thirdly grab grace <laughs> grab grace not the woman grace if you know a woman named grace grab the grace of God and reconcile with others you've got to have grace of God it says don't fall short of the grace of God because grace is the power that God gives us to do what he wants us to do it's not that which only saves us it does save us but the grace of God is God, Christ's righteousness at, or God's righteousness at Christ's enabling if you want to make an acronym out of it it's more than, than, than being forgiveness being forgiven uh, it is God re- giving us the power to do what God wants us to do by giving us Christ who enables us by giving us the grace of God. And so you need the grace of God to be saved, Romans 5, 1. You need the grace of God to forgive others as well. Let's pray. Lord God, I know that in this group of people, it doesn't take very many of us before we run to somebody that either needs forgiveness or needs to be forgiven. And whatever side of the coin, Lord, that we're on, you call us to take the initiative. To take the step that says, there's something between us and I want to repent of my wrong. Not laying blame on anybody else. I just, this is what I did and I am truly sorry. And I want, I want us to be right with God together. I want, I want your forgiveness. I want to restore this. And that may cost you, it cost us something. So God, we need your grace to do it. But we find out that when we do it, when we, when we try to keep those relationships right, that your grace is abundant. It is more than we need. And so, Lord, I, I just, I know in here, there are people that come to our minds that we need to go and reconcile with. Maybe because we did something. Maybe they did something. But they may not know that, Lord. They may not even realize that they offended us so much. Well, I'll just forgive them. But if they're aware that that relationship has been broken, then, Lord, we need to take those steps. So, God, give us the grace to forgive others as we have been forgiven. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to tell you, I'm so grateful for the forgiveness of God in Christ. But I'm also grateful for the forgiveness of others in my life who I've wronged and have forgiven me. And Jesus told some parables about this too. Because God's forgiveness of us is so much greater than anything we have to forgive in our life toward others. 
Nobody looking around. But I, I just ask us all to stand again. And I want you to join me in prayer. And if, if, if you need to come and pray at this altar, please come. If you need to dedicate, God's put something on your heart as I've been speaking, not because of me, but because of God's word. Somewhere where you need to go and be repentant and humble. And you want people to pray with you. We just You can come down here and kneel at this altar, but pray where you are as well if you don't move. That God's grace would be abundant for you. And that you would take it to do what you need to do. If you don't know the Lord and you need to be made right with the Lord, please come. We have people that would love to talk to you and help you. We won't embarrass you publicly. We just want to be able to talk with you. And, and so please do that. Lord Jesus, we stand in your presence, but our heads are bowed for we are humbled by our, our need for you. Every day, we, the hymn writer wrote, every hour I need you, Lord. And we need you that we might walk like you and act like you. And that we might forgive others who would sin against us. Lord, keep us from sinning against others. But when we realize we have, Lord, give us the grace to go to them and restore that. If it costs us something, that's great. But that we would at least attempt to restore that relationship. And God, all of us need forgiveness and we all need to forgive others. So, Lord, right now, as your people, we ask for the, your grace and your forgiveness and the strength to forgive others. In Jesus' name, amen.